1: Welcome to episode 158 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's Mom. Today, I have the privilege to speak with Lori, Adam's mom. Now, I have had several guests on the show recently who work as therapists. And honestly, it can be a little bit intimidating for a grieving person to talk with a therapist. You might feel like Maybe they would judge you for not doing things in the right way. But I have to say, I didn't feel any of that from Lori at all. In fact, I really felt quite the opposite to be true, especially in those first early hours and days of grief. It. Is sometimes very hard to show your emotions. You may feel like you are numb and don't do anything. There are times when I felt like I should be crying, but I wasn't. And there are other times when I felt like I was crying uncontrollably and I should be more in control. When talking to Lori, though, I felt like she understood so well that you just can't control how you feel and that is okay. She talks about being numb for honestly months and months before she was able to even start grieving Adam's death. And to have a therapist tell you that, then you know a little bit better that it is okay. And I hope that all of you can feel some comfort in knowing that grief looks different for everyone and it's all really okay. So now I just want you to sit back and listen to Lori, Adam's mom. Thank you so much, Lori, for coming on the Always Andy's Mom podcast today.
2: Happy
1: to be here, ish. Yeah. Happy ish to be here. Yeah, well, that's. That's being honest. I like that. I like that. That's for sure. Yeah, you reached out to me recently and just to kind of talk about the podcast a little bit and then it turns out we have a mutual acquaintance now too. Yeah, you asked me if I knew Anna who wrote the book Rare Bird and she was one of my very first guests on the podcast and she actually helped me kind of with my whole decision to make the podcast, because she was just so encouraging to have me do that. So it is nice to meet now a friend of Anna's.
2: Anna has good energy, good friend connecting energy. She's connected me with other friends. (laughs)
1: Well, very good. So why don't you start out by just telling us a little bit about your son, Adam? Okay.
2: So my son, Adam, Adam Levine, as he liked to say, the famous one. (laughs)
1: i love that i love that's the way you signed your letter to me too that you said adam levine's mom the famous one
2: (laughs) this is really funny one time my husband and adam were trying to open up a bank account at bank of america i think Mm -hmm. and literally they had to flag all the all the things because the other animal mean must have a bank account there so that was like a real thing
1: Oh, that wouldn't have been bad to get those things mixed up there right? for you. Exactly. <laughs> so
2: my Adam Levine was one of the funniest, craziest, wackiest people I've ever met.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I won't share, but he was one of the also most inappropriate people I've ever met, <laughs> but inappropriate in a way where he could get away with it, like crude and politically incorrect all within humor. And so he really cracked everybody up and mm-hmm. and it was okay because his heart was as warm and open as could be. So it was always clear that the terrible things he was saying was for the humor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He really blossomed, I think, in college. Mm-hmm. High school was not as easy so yeah so and, and he blossomed at summer camp all my kids went to jewish summer day camp and <laughs> summer sleepway camp and that was the place where he blossomed so he blossomed at camp and he blossomed to college and that made me very happy mm-hmm. our area was hard to be he he he, he was gay and it was early enough that it wasn't so cool mm-hmm. and it's so funny because like when I'm you know all the lgbtq stuff going on now and all the kids and it's so much more accepting and it's just like I always get really sad like he was a, born a little too early mm-hmm.
1: how many kids do you have I
2: have three and Adam was the oldest mm-hmm. okay yeah it's a little too conservative here in northern Virginia for some of what he needed and I need so anyhow so he went to University of Miami where he just literally <laughs> I mean, he yeah. he took the place by storm. He was just, again, that obnoxious. He was loud. He was really, really, I mean, loud. Like my ears would hurt. You knew he was here. And he just took it by storm. I've never seen anybody just thrive so much when they got to college. He was like, um, we have a banner, Adam Levine, for, you know, freshman senator. So he was on... Mm-hmm. Uh, student government from the beginning. And just like, like he just, he had all that energy here in high school, but wasn't accepted. So he just totally poured it out in college.
1: Yeah.
2: And he was like, it's awesome. You know, orientation and just, he just did all the things. And so for the 21 years he had, he made really good use of like the last four or five.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very good. Very good. So what did he study in college?
2: Oh, that's a good question. What did, what didn't he study? (laughs) He started pre-med and then Mm -hmm. he got really, really interested in special education.
1: Okay.
2: And he loved special education and he did the student teaching and it was, he was so compassionate. He's like, mom, God, I thought our schools were bad, but oh my God, the schools in Dade County, Florida. Yeah. So he really could appreciate it. He had a new appreciation for, you know, what he learned. And Fairfax County Schools where we live are very good. But, you know, he was also the biggest fetcher, uh, complainer (laughs) you would find. Anyhow, so, but then he realized that the salaries in special education could not support the way he wanted to live his life. So then (laughs) he revamped, he talked about pre-dental, and honest to God, I think he started deciding he was going to be pre-law, but he was afraid to tell us because his father's a lawyer and sometimes maybe disgruntled. So Adam was like, how can I tell dad that that's what I want to do? And then his story ended. But I have a fantasy. My fantasy is that he would have become a lawyer and work in policy for special education. There you go.
1: It's funny how those little – how you can try to create a little narrative as to what might have happened. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I find myself doing that as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. This week would have been the week that he would have been going off to college, likely. And so I have in my mind right. the little – that he would be going off to Michigan State with his best friend, Yoni. And his best friend, Yoni, actually sent me an uh, – text on the anniversary of his death saying, I'm getting ready to go to college and I feel like Andy should be going with me. So we weren't, I wasn't the only one having the same little fantastical dream. Yeah. But it can kind of give you, I don't know, It's it's kind of can be comforting to think of what could have been. Sometimes.
2: sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you want to talk now about what happened to Adam?
2: I don't want to, but I will.
1: <laughs> yeah. As
2: I was saying, how wonderful he was and smart and uh, there's another word I'm trying to think of but I can't think of it accomplished that's a word Mm -hmm. he was also one of the stupidest kids I've ever met and he was a risk taker and he was stupid and he thought he was invincible Mm -hmm. so he went to and I'm always forgetting the concert name and it's probably for a reason for that and every time I ask my daughter she rolls her eyes and she tells me but I forget what it is but it's one of those musical music fests that happen in Miami every year and he had gone his freshman year. And then his sophomore year, he was in Australia. And then his junior year, he went, he and his friends uh, took Molly and he died. He had a seizure and he died. We think he took more and more, because they all took it, yeah. but we think he took more. And we also think that he had, he had done some experimenting in drugs that I would never ever, of course, Right, think he should be doing but I I knew he was doing some experimenting but then he went to Australia for the second half of his sophomore year and everybody said he Mm -hmm. sort of his friends told me afterwards he kind of calmed down and he was sort of getting more on track and I guess maybe he thought well it's this music fest again and I'm gonna go have fun and yeah yeah sometimes I have some peace thinking he died happy
1: yeah well, that's true I guess And it's probably, too, that if he had had a year that he wasn't, or I mean, over a semester, that he wasn't really doing anything, he probably didn't have as much of a tolerance as maybe he had in the past and didn't probably realize that either. So yeah, that's exactly what went went through my head. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. One of the very painful things, long lasting, is he died on March 19th, and his sister's Mm -hmm. birthday is March 20th. Yeah. That's so hard. Yeah. So she has really had some very hard birthdays. She was turning 15. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. oy, the poor thing. So then she had, what, 16, 17, and 18, I guess. And then she was going to college and she was so excited. And I'm finally, finally, finally going to have a birthday at college and not yeah. have to deal with all the grief. Yeah, And three days later, three days before her 19th birthday, COVID, and she was sent home. Uh
1: So she didn't get
2: to have her first birthday in college. (laughs) No, she has made up for it the next two years, but that was...
1: That is so hard. I was just talking to my own therapist about that today because Andy died on on August 15th and his foster brother's birthday is August 14th. And so... I, you know, I'm like gearing up for the 15th and it's a really difficult day for me, but all day on the 14th, I have to try to make this day special, right. right? Right? And, and try to make him feel like he didn't lose his birthday just because his brother died the next day. Exactly. And so, you know, trying to do all these special things and it's just draining. And then on top of that, so then Andy died on the 15th and when, and, and. His cousin, who he's super close with, so there's Peter and Andy and then their cousin Nathan. So Peter and Andy are my two boys. They're two years apart. Their cousin Nathan is right smack in the middle. Well, his cousin's birthday was the next morning on the 16th. Oh, my gosh. And right. So it was terrible. It was terrible, actually, that he had that birthday. Let's see. What would he have been? Probably turning 13 or Yeah. 13. And so I don't even know. I've never asked. We told them in the night that Andy had died. He died around seven. I think we maybe called them around 10. I don't know if they got their kids up and told them that night or if that was the way he woke up, you know, to your cousin died overnight, happy birthday. Right. But it's it it adds a lot of complexity when you have these days right there that are supposed to be celebratory days, and then you have this day of mourning <laughs> in, in the midst of it all.
2: So this is funny. Last year I think it was my daughter was taking chemistry in college and her teacher they they would have their uh exams on Friday nights. Mm-hmm and that was the 19th and her birthday was the 20th and she's like i'm gonna use the dead brother card i said go for it you should she said i need to take it in the morning this test i can't be studying all day in sadness so she was able she got the dead brother card she did we have very black humor yeah (laughs) so then so then she's getting ready for her birthday I'm like, oh, well, that was convenient.
1: <laughs> you you <laughs>
2: can get ready for your birthday on uh, the grieving day, but <laughs> not take the test. So, I say work it. Oh. We've suffered enough. We work it as much as we can.
1: <laughs> That's it exactly right. I mean, absolutely. hundred percent. And Adam
2: would be mm-hmm. the first to you know be on board.
1: <laughs> I, I'm sure. Like, take the test early, then celebrate. <laughs> don't, you know, don't think about this. Right. 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 Exactly. Yeah. So... You know, talk about that time then, right after a little bit about your kind of initial grieving process. Oh,
2: so bizarre. I was so numb.
1: Yeah,
2: I didn't cry at the funeral. I didn't cry. I didn't cry at the funeral. Everybody thought I was worried about me. Yeah, I was making really sick jokes. Our rabbi came over and we're making jokes, and everybody was like, whatever. And, you know, and then it hit. Honestly, it's funny. Like, The second year was so much worse than the first year. And all of the big events, I was like prepped for. I was prepped Mm -hmm. and I had my guard. And so the anticipation was worst. You know, the Jewish holidays, birthdays and anniversaries and all that stuff. I was just, and thanksgiving, I was prepped for. And then the second year, I wasn't as prepped and it was Mm -hmm. awful. All of the anniversaries were worse, the big days. So- that is something that, you know, I'm very careful when I tell people because I don't want to, you know, new newer people, parents, I don't want to plant ideas in their head. They're going to do it their way. But that's how it was for me. Right. And Sari, my daughter, who, let's see, she was in ninth grade when he died. And then in 10th grade, she got sick. And she was sick for months and months and months and months and months. And every single doctor mm-hmm. said, you're grieving. And she's like, no, actually I'm not. (laughs) She's like, yeah, I'm sad, but there's something wrong with my body. And so she was there. It ended up being endometriosis and gastroparesis. So she suffers, but we didn't know. And so she was throwing up and she was sick and she didn't feel good and she missed school. And so it was sort of like a distraction. My energy went to that. And then her senior year in the spring is when we got the diagnoses and then she had surgery and she was doing better and she went to college and that was empty nest and
1: yeah
2: that's when it it felt really empty. yeah I'm trying to remember I think yeah Jeremy my son he was a senior yeah he was a senior in college and Sarah was a freshman in college so suddenly we had um emptiness and that hit me really hard that hasn't gone away it keeps happening because they come home And then they leave again. And they come home and they leave again. And the other day, my husband took her back to school and I was crying. And I said to him, I'm really mad because I don't know what my empty nest experience would have been. Right. I never had the chance to have the normal empty nest. Sure, my friends are sad. Sure, my friends are sad when their kids leave. But
1: for me, it's just deep, right? Yeah, yeah. It is. It's so much different because- I mean, I think for me, even when my daughter went off to college, it was so different because I have this, you know, experience of saying, of not really saying goodbye to my son, obviously, we were just in a car accident, but having it be forever, having him be gone, and it's forever. And that's my experience, right? Ah. And so I don't have this normal kind of experience of them going off to college. That's not my it's just not in my history to know what that feels like. Right. So it, it just is so much different. Yeah. And then I have a hard time sometimes empathizing or whatever with friends who talk about their kids going away to school because like, well, yeah, but I mean, you are going to see them again too. It's It doesn't have that permanence. It's just, it's just weird. You just don't know. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the mind games. Mm-hmm. One other thing I just wanted to add into the whole. So we never had a pet. Never. Never had a pet. Sort of wanted a dog, but didn't want to deal with a dog. Didn't want the expense of a dog. Four weeks to the day after Adam died, we got a dog. <laughs> so... I say that because she's my empty nest. It's me and the dog and her name is Francine Levine. And she's a pain in the neck, but all of our family sort of took all of that love and put it on the dog, which by the way, Adam would have hated. Number one, nobody should have more intention than him. And number two, he didn't like dogs. So it's very fun like, to mess with his spirits and piss him off. Like, you know, I want to piss him (laughs) off.
1: Well, well, that being said, you know, my son Andy always wanted a dog. He always wanted a dog. He was begging for a dog. He wanted a dog. My husband hates dogs. And he actually said – we had a conversation one time talking about morbid humor. I think he said something one time, like, if dad would die – would we be able to get a dog? And I said, absolutely, we would. We would for sure get a dog if Dad died. I mean, it was obviously all just in of course. good fun and a joke. But it was one of those things that after Andy died, somebody even suggested something about getting a dog because Andy had always wanted a dog. And I said... Yeah, if we were to get a dog now, Andy would talk to God up in heaven and strike lightning down on us and kill us. Because he'd be so mad because he wanted a dog his entire life. And now suddenly he's dead and we get a dog?
2: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly.
1: So that would have totally ticked him off so we still have not not got a dog dog, and all these you know friends they all had these pandemic puppies you know they all got puppies in the pandemic like not for us because (laughs) i know that i just couldn't do it for sure oh that's so funny
2: yeah so it's me and the dog kids came home (laughs) kids came home for covid it was wonderful it was great then they left again dog Mm. (laughs) Yeah. They're home for the summer. The they leave.
1: Dog. <laughs> so. so your history is in therapy, right? You're a therapist. Yes, I'm a therapist. Yeah, I work with teens. Yeah, and how long have you been a therapist? Forever. 30 years. Yeah, so you were a therapist long before any of this ever happened. Oh, yeah,
2: absolutely. Yeah, and and my primary group is teenagers. Oh, really? Yeah. Teen, oh, yeah. Teens and adults, you know, teens and women is mostly. But, yeah, I've been working with teenagers forever. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Well, and you said you interestingly, long before Adam died, you told me that you had sort of an interest, almost fascination with bereaved parents and um following them on social media and things like that. Reading their mm-hmm. stories,
2: always reading their stories.
1: Yeah.
2: I think because it was like I couldn't imagine how they got yeah. up the next day. Yeah. It's really weird. Yeah. I don't. It's just weird. I don't know if I imagined myself being one. I just had so much empathy for how they got up the next day. Yeah, yeah.
1: <sighs> it's it's just so strange that you had those kind of feelings, and then, you know, all of a sudden one day, that was you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a just an interesting. I don't know. An interesting thought, I think, to think about, and what? How did that affect you? Kind of as a therapist, were you able to do work right away again? Or
2: it's funny. I did that. I was thinking about that before this interview. What I did, like I told you, how numb I was. So yeah, he died on a Saturday, and that was spring break around here. So okay, the kids were off. It was weird. A lot of my friends were away, which was you know hard. But so it was a full week. And then they had, I think Sunday was probably Easter. I don't know. And then Monday, the kids head off again. And so I was maybe going to go back to work. Obviously during spring break, I didn't have much work. And I was maybe going to go back to work on Monday, but the kids were home. And I'm like, "Yeah, screw it. We're going to watch the Gilmore Girls. And that's what we did. And I went back to work on Tuesday. So 10 days after he died, I went back to work. And I remember that one, I, my, I can re- specifically remember sitting in an office because that's what we used to do in the old days.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: And my client was in front of me and she was talking And my, in my head, literally, I was saying in my head, Adam is dead, Adam is dead. And it just kept going on in my head. Mm-hmm. So I feel a little bad <laughs> because maybe I wasn't present for that one client, but then I kept going to work. And it was the best thing for me that I could have done. I went to work and I left everything in my car. And I would see client after client after client after client. And I was okay. And then I got back in my car and it whooshed right back over me. But for those six to eight hours, I got a break.
1: So I think it's it's because I was so numb. Different people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's true that's true yeah my husband it was really helpful for him to go back to work and he kept saying to me you need to go back to work you need to go back to work and I went back to work and it was a disaster I mean I would hold it together in the patient but I actually cried between every patient I just I would see a patient and I'd leave the room and I'd cry and then I'd go see a patient and I'd leave the room and I'd cry and because it just was too overwhelming for me sure of course of course so, but that was interesting how you kind of turned it off for longer periods of time. But maybe you're right. Maybe it's just because of the numbness that you have. It was
2: so numb. In fact, since I've defrosted, I tear yeah. up more now with clients. Now with the with the Zoom, it's they can't always see, but like I can yeah. tear up like all the time. Yeah, I call it. Sometimes I'll be leaking, so yeah. I'm crying and I don't know it, or I don't think I'm thinking about Adam. Like, it's not always yeah. I'm thinking about Adam, but I'm just crying all the time. So, yeah.
1: Well, and I think even yesterday I saw some patients, their brothers, and there are four brothers total. Three of them were in the office and they were elementary school age and they were fighting horribly in the room. I mean, just picking and picking at each other and fighting. And I, it bothered me so much because they just, were picking on each other and hitting at each other like they hated each other and I just kept thinking like I didn't I wasn't going to say this to them but I wanted to say like one of your brothers could be dead tomorrow and you could never see them again and this is how you're acting you know like I just kept thinking about my own boys and how they adored each other and how they never ever acted that bad ever and how much Peter would give to have his brother back and how they were just like that. So again, I was thankful for the mask, (laughs) right? Because I've got a mask on. I've got glasses on. I can turn away from the mom and do the exam on an eight-year-old who isn't going to pay the least bit of attention and notice that I'm tearing up. But all I'm thinking in my head was, you know, this could all be gone for you guys on the way home. I mean, any second. It could be, and this is how you're living it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It just was really painful to think about. And then, and knowing that I really couldn't do anything or say anything or, change anything I mean I tried to like have a talk with them about how your brothers are going to be your best friends for life and your friends that you have now aren't and then I just get an eye roll like I don't want my brothers to be my best friends I want my best friend to be my best friend and because they don't understand and they obviously don't know where I'm coming from at all and I'm not going to get that through to them but it's just there are painful moments still
2: yep right and you don't know when you can't predict them they just come. No. Right.
1: I did not think walking into that room that I would have like an Andy moment. Right. 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 Not at all. Not the least bit of me. And I've been having plenty of Andy moments because we just passed the anniversary. So, but it's the ones that sneak up on you. Wait. Remind me again. How many years? Four. four. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just been four years. Just last week. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I took off the day and then because I thought I can't. Do it that day, but by two days later, I think I'll be all right. And you know, <laughs> I just wasn't. I'm just I just—I told my partners like it's getting to the point where I feel like I need to take off the entire month of August. <laughs> but they all would kill me hey. because of all the sports <laughs> that need to be done in the month of August.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: but that's the problem too, right? So all I'm doing in the month of August is tons of sports physicals, which means I'm seeing all teenagers right. and. That's how old he was when he died. So,
2: and so, and here's it's the opposite hard. like, my friends will be really thoughtful and you want to get together, March. And you want to, and, and I need to just grin and bear it and bowl through it,
1: plow through yeah. yeah. It's
2: interesting how, again, different people.
1: Yeah. Really, really different. Yeah. You want to, you want to get through it and go to work. And I just don't. I don't know. <laughs> Has it changed the way you are as a therapist, do you think now?
2: Yes. That's a funny question. You know, everybody, you know, I just like, you're doing a podcast and, you know, Anna writes books and some people make five K's and, you know, another person has another foundation and I'm like, what have I done? I've done nothing, but (laughs) all of my things, the way I operate is on the micro, never on the macro. Yeah. So even like sort of like with my charitable and. I will find a family and help this family rather than write a check to a big foundation. So it's just how I am on the micro. I want to see it. And that's how Mm -hmm. I really feel like I have made a difference with my clients, especially the grieving ones. I've seen a lot of teens who have lost parents and Mm -hmm. I think I've just given them what they needed. Yeah. I, I'm in private practice, but I also work for a grant. So I see a lot of underprivileged kids and I have these siblings and their mother died. And it was just like, and I had been working with them for a really long time. So they called me the day their mother died. I brought them dinner. That's not what therapists do, but that's what I did. I went to the funeral and I keep sort of away mentoring these kids because i'm not getting any money that's not part of the grant anymore and it was just i kind of like think especially the boy he needs a mother and i need another son so i'm appropriate by all means i'm not weird about it but it's just like that i think is how i channel you know the grief
1: well, and that's when you first wrote to me, actually, was when after I had shared oh, right, right. about Andy's therapy, right. therapist that Andy's therapist recently wrote to me. Now, almost four years after he, he died about how when he died, she felt so much and she wanted to go to his funeral and asked co-workers and they all said it would be totally inappropriate, even though she had not seen him. I mean, like, she stopped seeing Andy when he was in the fourth grade. So it had been five years since she'd seen him as a therapist. Like, there would, there's no real reason she couldn't have gone except that her coworkers thought it would be inappropriate yeah. for her to go. Yeah. And then she didn't get that for herself. And she needed that for herself. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that, that, so that's why you initially even started writing to me was about that. Right. Mm -hmm. Because
2: as I, I just completed and became certified in grief and trauma therapy. And Mm -hmm. in that class, we talked about being human, being therapists and being human. And that's what really, I become more human in my therapy. Right. Because that's more important to me. I mean, I'm not breaking not being weird. I'm not hanging out with my clients. I'm not, you know, I brought the right. kids dinner cause they're poor and their mother died. You know, I'm, I'm appropriate, but I'm human. Right. And so I can, but I will tell you this, this is really interesting and something I struggle with and something I was, I even thought about, am I going to talk to you? My clients don't know that I've lost a kid. Yeah. Couple found out through the community and I've told maybe two just, for uh, for whatever reason, but they don't need to worry about me.
1: Right.
2: Right. And once they know, then they worry about me. And so that's something that stressed me out a lot more early on because my kids were in the community where I work, but now my kids are older and I'm working with, you know, still the kids at their high school, but my kids have been gone. So no one really knows Adam Levine where they did early on so that's kind of weird yeah
1: well I would say that's sort of the case with me now too obviously the patients that I had before Andy died no they all know right I ended up taking off a year leave of absence I mean a letter went out to all my patients that my son died like everybody knew but the newer ones that I have now in general don't Unless there are, I do have a few who have actually picked me because I have. Yeah. Right. I have. I have one that who lost her her first son to SIDS, and so when she got pregnant again, she picked me. And I told my office manager every single family that we get in the office who has had a child die probably should see me as opposed to seeing one of my partners right. because I I I just I had seen kids before Andy died who had lost a child. And now, afterwards, I do it so much better. Yeah. You know, right. that I am not afraid to bring them up when it's November and it's the birthday month or whatever. I will say something about their child who has died. All of that stuff that I never would have touched with a 10 foot pole, right. I know now actually brings them comfort. Yes. And so I do it differently. Yeah. And in general, I would say I have a lot more humanity now, like you say. Right. So I have people that, you know, just decide to have me as their doctor because I probably am, do have a little bit more of that yeah. than some other people do. But it's just it's just because of what I experienced. Right. Yeah. It's just changes you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, you know, if you ask, um, I would say probably 90 plus percent of the patients that I've gotten since I came back, went back to work three years ago, they have no clue. That I had a child die,
2: and how is that for you? Good or bad? It's it's better. It's
1: better actually, Uh because so what used to be, beforehand, you know, when you're a pediatrician and you tell silly anecdotes about your own children in in ways to kind of sometimes make them feel better, right? Right, So, like yesterday, I had a patient. The mom is cannot get the child to breastfeed on the right side for the life of them. She, the kid will only breastfeed on the left sometimes in the day we'll do the right but anyways, funny and I said oh my middle son was like that I had to contort my body to make him think that I had to." <laughs> okay everyone laughs it makes her feel a little better we you know talk about how we can get through that if I would have said that same story and they know that actually that is my child who died they would feel so uncomfortable but they all assume that he's grown up now and however old and whatever, right? They have no idea that he died. And the only reason I can say that story is because they don't know. Right. Because if they know, then they get all weird because now we're laughing at someone who's dead right. and that feels weird to them. Yeah. So anyway, I it's much more freeing, actually. That they don't like, know, right. Than it was the beginning because the beginning everyone knew. And so then I took to never ever telling any sort of little personal anecdotes. And and obviously my personal anecdotes are usually 5 to 10 seconds, right? right? right. I mean, we talk about just silly little things just to make them feel sure. a little bit better yeah. to give them a little bit of comfort. But I couldn't do that for a while. Yeah. Right? And that's only starting to come back now only because I'm getting more and more patients who don't know my history.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I had one grandmother I was working with her granddaughter and the mom died. And so with that grandmother, and it was on the phone because it was during COVID, I said to her, I want you to know, I understand your pain, I've been there. I said, please don't tell your granddaughter, I don't want her to know, but I am telling you this you know, in compassionate support for just with yeah. you. And so I know that if I have a client who has lost a child, I will share. But at this point, Mm -hmm. it's not something that is out there.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that's exactly what it is with me. It's usually only, it's very, very, very limited. You know, I had a teen come in whose dad had died and she was a mess and not really wanting to open up to me at all, open up at all. And I said... I and I told her, I get grief. I understand that. Mm-hmm. I lost my son. And it and and actually what was funny is you saw as soon as I said that, the wall just fell. And she just felt like, Okay, maybe I can talk to you about this. Mm-hmm. Like maybe this is okay to discuss with you a little bit. But it was only because I felt like she she was, you know, they just put the wall up and they needed me to just say, It's okay. Right. Right. It's okay.
2: Or you showed your vulnerability. So it's safe.
1: Right. So this is a safe place to be able to do that. And it, it was nice. It was, I mean, again, not something that I normally do. And I see a lot of teens with anxiety and like none of them know that I had a teenager who died, but this, in this instance, it felt like that was the better way to go because then she could understand like, yeah, I, I do know grief and i parent have parented grieving teenagers and we know what this is like yeah and I know it's hard yeah Mm -hmm. and just knowing that other people forget yeah on that same note a little bit I have lots of parents ask me about parenting their teens who are bereaved Mm -hmm. and kind of how to do that so now putting that hat on a little bit as a therapist who you said have dealt with lots of teens yes. who are grieving. Right. How can surviving parents do that? Cause I do get that question a lot.
2: Well, what the first thing I was going to say is you always talk about it. It never, you don't yeah. sweep it under the rug, you know, like they always say, say his name, tell the stories. Andy did this. Adam did that. Adam was a pain in the neck. You know, Andy was so yeah. funny, you know, just, you know, But the other thing, as I was thinking that, I was thinking some of the teens don't want to talk to their parents for two reasons. One, they don't want to worry their parents, right? They want to protect their parents. Mm -hmm. And the other is most teens don't want to talk to their parents anyways. (laughs) Yeah. So get a therapist, get a mentor, get a group find other bereaved kids those are always 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 keep trying but understand that it's hard for the kids
1: yeah and it is really hard and some kids you know like the therapist some kids like the group yeah i I mean i think even back to my own kids my daughter we had a therapist she didn't like her she didn't want to go you know that was a huge turnoff Went to group support. It was kind of okay. What ended up being better is when she was in Starlight group support and she found another girl in her school whose mother had died in a car accident and they bonded and they started going to the support group together. Mm-hmm. That worked. Mm-hmm. Right. And what's funny, you too talking about that black humor, because they had really <laughs> terrible black humor in the high school about it too, about, you know, the dead brother, the dead mom kind of thing they would talk about. But and it made other people feel uncomfortable, but they were a really good support for each other. Yeah. And then I had my son who went his therapist. We tried to get him to go to the the Starlight therapy too for the middle school group and he just hated it didn't like it didn't want to go so he didn't I mean we we had it on the nights that he had soccer practice so he just went to soccer practice his therapist I remember him saying to me I think he's doing pretty good I don't really know if he needs to come and I said Peter your therapist is not sure you really need to come and he goes I need to come (laughs) I need to keep going And so we kept going much longer than the therapist thought he needed it. But it it was just, it was so different, right? So my daughter turned off to the therapist, only could do like peer support. That's what helped. But, and then neither one of them really talked to me much at all, right? right? Not at all. And then even my son's therapist didn't think he was doing a darn thing for him, but apparently he was, you know, just, I think that. I'm showing up every other week and there's somebody there and in case things are bad, I've got this kind of, I've got somebody. A lot of
2: times I'll tell like teens, either as clients or recently actually a friend's daughter, I'm like, sometimes you just need an adult that's not your parent to talk to. And that's okay, Yeah, that's totally okay. Because again, the kids, they know their parents are grieving. They don't wanna add more to their parents and what i tell them is like that's their job and they can do it yeah they there's more than there's more in them than you realize and you've got to trust yes. them that they can be there for you
1: yeah i that's a great point i like to think about that a little bit and even talk about that a little bit more because i wonder if that would be something that we should even do as parents even to say that to our kids sometimes like it's okay to talk to me yeah I know we are both hurting. I am hurting, but I can handle more than you think I can. Right, 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 like, right, right. To say, I handled Andy's death. That was hard. If I can handle that and get up every morning to that, I can handle this. Yeah, I can handle this. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe that's a something that we can all try to do a little yeah, bit Yeah, I too. mean,
2: because I forget who it was, but it was a teen who didn't want to worry their parent, and I forget what it was. And I said mm-hmm. – You're worrying your parent more by them not knowing. Because by not knowing, they create in their minds what's the worst. Yeah. If you share with them what you're hurting about, they can handle it. And then they'll be, they'll calm down because they're imagining it's much worse than it is. Yeah. I have a a supervision group. So they're colleagues and Mm -hmm. they're all dropping kids off. We're all just in it right? And I just texted them literally today. And I said, mothers are the strongest human beings on this planet. (laughs) So (laughs) we got this and we have each other. And that is just who the mothers are. It's just so hard.
1: Yeah. And you're not feeling very strong, right? I I, I do hate that. I had People tell me all the time, oh, you're so strong. You're so strong. You're like, I don't feel strong. I feel extremely weak. But if you look from the outside, it is important to think, you know what? Maybe I'm not so weak. Maybe I'm not. I have been able to go through all this. And certainly with a lot of work and with a lot of help, but still getting up every day. You
2: know, and what? maybe, maybe somebody who's listening will, will hear this and I've I think about the parents that get stuck, right? The parents that get stuck and that can't keep going forward. And as Mm -hmm. messy as it's been for me, as many tears as I've cried, I forget. I'm like, oh, wait, I went to work today. I hang out with my friends this weekend. My husband and I traveled this summer. Like I'm still doing things. Yeah. And Adam died. And so if anybody else, you know, if that can help anybody else, you
1: know, to know that you can.
2: Right. Mm-hmm. And the oh, one other thing, this is the my biggest t- takeaway from the grief class that I just completed. Yeah. I tell people, it's like my brain knew this, but I internalized it differently from the class is that the grief is forever. The grief is forever. Every second of my day, the grief is forever and it can coexist with joy. And so it comes along with me and I can still laugh and have fun. And then there'll be days that'll suck, but they, like they coexist. And that was helpful, really helpful for me.
1: Mm -hmm. That is a helpful thing to always remember is that you can have joy. I mean, you can experience more than one feeling at the same time. And honestly, in grief, a lot of times you're experiencing about eight, right? (laughs) All at the same time. Yeah once you get past the numbness stage right. where you feel like you're experiencing nothing right How long do you feel like you stayed in that kind of numb place Did, was it a was it a slow change out of it? or more abrupt I think it was gradual
2: mm-hmm. and again it was different because I started to defrost as I call it yeah. over the months. But like I said, and maybe it was a year because maybe it was related to all the anniversaries where I had the mm-hmm. armor still. And then right. year two, I melted and yeah. didn't expect it. So
1: well, it's funny, I was just talking with another grief therapist who was just on a little bit ago, and and we were talking about this new diagnosis of prolonged grief disorder. Oh. And right. And about how what you're describing now is exactly what we had talked about before is that you were numb for that first year and you had this armor on for the first year. And so when you really think about grieving, you honestly probably weren't grieving for the first year. Right. 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 You were just numb and you were just trying to get through. I'm just plowing through. I'm just getting up every day. But You weren't letting yourself feel to let yourself grieve because grieving is a process and it's going through emotions. And if you're not able to feel them, then you're not able to really even start yet. So that whole prolonged grief disorder is so ridiculous and that you're supposed to be done before oftentimes you can even start.
2: Right. And the big thing that all the grief therapists are saying is grief is not a disorder. Everybody grieves. Um, I'm trying to look for this book that I wanted to tell you about. I'm sure you, oh, The Grieving Brain. Mm -hmm. Um, I was reading part of it when you were just talking. It was about, I don't know if it was neurologically or I forget what the, whatever, but they were just basically like saying, your brain has to relearn the world Mm -hmm. without Adam. And the really cool metaphor they used was, say you get up in the middle of the night and you go to get a glass of water and you bump into your dining room table. And this happens every single time. And you just bump into your dining room table. One day you move the dining room table and you go to get that glass of water. Your brain has to relearn that the dining room table is not there. And so it just talked about the brain science. And so that's what I was wondering when you were talking about that first year is my brain, our brain's are relearning how to live without these children in our lives. Mm -hmm. And it's awful. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And when you think about it that way too, I love there's a beautiful analogy about thinking about your brain as a huge filing cabinet and you open up these folders, you know, you have an experience and you put it in a folder and oftentimes now you had to open the folder and there are pieces of Adam or pieces of Andy in the folder. And that's why like this little thing that shouldn't have gotten you that upset can now open the floodgates because, oh, it had to go in that folder. And that means I had to go there for a second and think about it for a minute. Right. right? I mean, it was like me with those arguing brothers. It it got to me so badly. I mean, it shouldn't have really in on, you know, a superficial level. No one would have guessed that would have Bothered me. I wouldn't have even guessed that was going to bother me, but yet it did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I was just going into the brother file. Right. When I go into the brother file, then I think about my kids and I think about how my kids were with their brother and how they no longer have that relationship with their brother and how sad that is. Yeah. When I wouldn't have thought that going into that folder <laughs> would have been exactly that trying. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. Because the grief is, it's a tricky little son of a gun. yeah yeah.
1: so how long was this class that you ended up taking
2: it was six months each month we met for two full days so technically I guess 12 classes it was really good it was really very interactive so we there was didactic but lots of discussion and then there was a multiple choice test which I was like, I happened to have to do that in a long time. And then there was an essay. I was fine. With, but yeah, but it was really, it was really powerful for me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So did the people that you were taking the class with, was this a remote thing or was this in person? It
2: happened to be remote. I was going to say. We met, we met once the last day we met once. So it was in the DC area. Um, it was through what's called the Went Center, which is a, a grieving for grief and loss. It's a therapy center for grief and loss. So all of the people were therapists. Some of them had significant losses and some were just grief therapists.
1: Okay. I was wondering about that, about how many people might have had significant loss who were there as well. Yeah. I mean, a um, lot
2: of them, like they had worked in hospice and then their primary population is grieving people and the Went Center, like the teachers, it's all grieving people.
1: So. Yeah. Well, you think about how therapists you know all come from a variety of backgrounds, and so you're good at different things. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of therapists that are really not good at grief, right? In general, right? Because right. I don't know how much you're really taught about helping grieving people exactly in your training. No, none are you taught much? No, well, my no. training was so long ago, who knows, what <laughs> but certainly you don't recollect it, right? No. I mean, that's just like kind of with medical school, you like do this thing on how to give bad news. I remember one little small group thing we did and we all had to like practice giving bad news. And then, you know, the next thing you know, you're a medical student and you watch someone give someone bad news and they may or may not be any good at it at all. Right. And then it's you. I mean, it's. It's you don't really know what the heck you're doing. You had some little vignette way back the first year of medical school. And you said, certainly, I'm going to learn a lot more than this. And people are going to teach me a lot more about being with people who are dying or people who are grieving or all of this stuff. But it turns out what what to, the majority of doctors do, like find the social worker, <laughs> leave the room, you know, time to call social work. My job is done here. I'm out of here. So it doesn't really get much training for that. Well, the <laughs> good news is we're all getting good training now. So <laughs> yes, yes, right, right. And hopefully they're doing that even in the in the original schooling too, a little bit more yeah, too.
2: Yeah, I don't know. Co- coincidentally, I just started another class on adoption and that's really my true passion. And that mm-hmm. is key because that is not taught much in school either. Adopt. No. Clinical work for adopted teens. So, yeah. yet again, these little nuanced specialties that no one is really trained in.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and I would say those two are going to go together. Absolutely. Quite well yeah. Because all those teens who are getting adopted, they may not be grieving a death loss, but they're certainly loss. grieving
2: Absolutely. a loss.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Well, is there anything else you feel like you wanted to try to share with us today about either your personal journey or more professionally?
2: I think we've covered, we've covered a lot. We've covered a lot. Yeah. It's something you never, ever, ever wanted to deal with. But once you're in it, you find the right, good, really good people, right? Yeah. You don't want to be, I don't want to be friends with you or Anna. Yeah, but since I have to be at least there's good people that I'm finding to be there with you. Yeah,
1: yeah. And it is so comforting to have those people to walk through the journey with yeah. because otherwise, it can be really, really lonely.
2: Yeah. Because your friends that haven't they don't know. Right. Don't but know. if I and
1: they don't want to know, no, unfortunately. No. you know, they don't want to know. Right. And they don't want to get too deep in the darkness with right. you. Right because it's just so painful. I
2: call Anna on an anniversary day and say, "Ugh," she's like, "Yeah, I know." So, right. Yeah.
1: Right. If you call some one of your other friends, they'll feel first of all kind of weird, right. then feel this pressure like they have to make it better. Right. right, right. I mean, the beautiful thing about calling Anna is Anna knows that she's not going to make it better and so she's not going to try. Exactly. Your other friends are going to try to make you feel better. So, and that's not what you want.
2: Right. So again, for anyone who's listening, if you haven't found people, go online, go on Compassionate Friends. They're, yeah. We're there. And yep, it's the best support I've we had. We are there. Yeah.
1: And we are, you know, when me personally, we're, I'm doing a virtual support group through Starlight Ministries. So you can contact starlightmen.org and get in one of those support groups. They have been really a lifeline for me and for a lot of other people. And- too, You're right. And Just Enduring is another organization that I just have had on recently. They will match you up with people with other grief parents with similar loss. So that can be a nice resource, too, to be able to go there and find somebody that's going through something at about the same time that you are. Makes you feel less alone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Lori, for sharing with us the famous Adam Levine. <laughs> the real one. The real one, the real one, not this fake one that you see on TV. Exactly. So so thank you so much for sharing with us and for sharing your wisdom. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful or would like to support the podcast, please leave a five-star rating and comment. To help financially, you can text Andy's mom to the number 53555 or visit the donate page on andysmom.com. Your donations are secure and tax deductible and we are now able to accept Venmo, PayPal, and Apple Pay. Always Andy's mom is a registered 501c3 organization and can receive donations through smile.amazon.com, Thrive in Financial, and Benevity, amongst others. Marcy loves hearing from listeners. Please feel free to reach out to her via email at marcy at andysmom.com. Also, be sure to sign up for the email list to receive weekly updates as well as pictures of all of Marcy's guests and their children. Together, let's work to inspire hope one day at a time.